Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is your 124th video cast, 114th podcast for the week ending March 3rd, 2022. We'll kick it off with some media spots, and then we'll get right down to it. Uh, first, I'd like to thank uh, Ali Thompson, uh, Alicia Nieves, and Jovan Collins for having me on Cheddar uh, earlier this week on Wednesday. Uh, we'll go into some of the details on that as we get to the article of the week. Uh, then I'd like to thank Devik Jain and Sabat Jahan, contractor, for having me in their article on Reuters also on Wednesday. Um, do, 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 do. Yeah. Uh, oh, it was regarding the Powell testimony being in line with what was expected. Um, if anything, I thought he was comforting and sober about the realities of the geopolitical risks and that the Fed would be nimble and effectively tactical about how they move forward and take everything into account versus just moving ahead with some predetermined plan. Um, so, yeah, Powell came out with the 25 basis points certainty and clarity, which uh, the market liked until today. We got some other news that we have to deal with and we'll walk through that. Not a big deal. I uh, want to talk, thank... Uh, Phil Muscatello from Australia for having me on his uh, podcast. His podcast is called Stock for Beginners. He also has shares for beginners. He's based in Australia. We met through a mutual friend and he asked me to come on. Uh, he gets like 30,000 downloads a month, so he's got quite an audience. Uh, and we really went into some good information here. We'll cover a few highlights, but you definitely can take a listen for yourself uh, when, when you can. So thanks to Phil. Uh, we'll start with the quote of the day to, from John Templeton, to buy when others are despondently selling and to sell when others are euphorically buying takes the greatest courage but provides the greatest profit. And that's been the underlying theme uh, of our career and uh, in what we've been talking about on the podcast for uh, going on um, quite a while now. So 125, yeah, two years and change. So um, we're going to start off with the Ask Me Anything questions of the week. There are quite a few, and I think many people are finding them helpful each week. So we'll start with Sumit Kapoor. Hi, Tom. Every week I look forward to your article of the week as I learn something new every week. Thank you for sharing your wisdom so generously. This week's article of the week sparked a few questions. Number one, how does rolling off the Fed balance sheet increase impact the long end of the curve? I'm assuming the Fed balance sheet rolling off means treasury maturities exceed new issuance. Um, yes, so the, the key is, is they will stop reinvesting, that's number one. Uh, but number two is they're gonna get out of being a buyer in the market. So when they're buying $80 billion of bonds a month, um, they're crowding out, and that's the idea, they're crowding out institutions and other sovereigns from buying uh, because the yields get too low because they're creating the artificial demand. When, when that demand, 80 billion, comes out of the market, the securities are going to fall because that demand is no longer there. Um, but they're not going to fall as dramatically as the doomsdayers say. So it's kind of a nuanced thing. Um, uh, the doomsdayers say, like, once the Fed leaves, there'll be no buyers in the market. And that couldn't be further from the truth because the idea is, and hopefully they'll start uh, selling off long duration, 10 year and beyond. Why? Because we want to steepen the long end of the curve. We don't need them to come out of the short end of the curve. 
uh, as much as we need them to come out of the long end of the curve um, to, to help steepen the curve. So, um, okay, so we just covered that. Um, they do have a broad spectrum. They do have a lot of short-dated uh, treasuries in the portfolio, uh, but they, they have enough that they could start on the long end of the curve and, and get re-steepened. Uh, number two, why? Oh, so as for the demand, uh, what you're going to see is as that 10-year yield gets up to 2% and beyond, even as the Fed steps out, you're going to see a tremendous demand uh, from foreign buyers come back in uh, to displace that demand because you can basically borrow in yen. The carry trade will be back. So you can borrow in yen for basically nothing, uh, almost the same in Europe, uh, and, and get 2%, 2 225 risk-free make that spread and just mint money. And, and so you're gonna see a lot of buyers come in that would not necessarily be buyers at one to one and a half percent in that range. Um, so those calling for three and a half percent on the 10 year, uh, don't, hold, don't hold your breath. I, I think it's a lower probability despite inflation. The other thing about inflation that I mentioned on the Cheddar podcast, which we'll go into, is the key is not these short-term prints. Uh, the key to inflation is expectations. So when you look at five-year break-evens, they've moved up a little bit, but they're at 3.2%, which is not out of line with what five-year expectations have been since 1920. So provided that expectations remain in check, it won't dramatically uh, uh, impact consumer behavior. If expectations start to go up uh, five years out, that's a problem because that's going to change behavior. Uh, but so far, we're, we're kind of in a decent, uh, decent range. Um, okay, when you say that risk in the market now is to the upside, do you mean that the market could appreciate from here and there is limited downside risk? Um, I'd say the former is true. I think the market will appreciate from here. Um, and there's limited downside risk. There's never a limited downside risk. You're in equities, so um, there's always risk. But... Um, based on the way that people are positioned right now, and we're going to go into a little bit of that, um, everyone is on one side of the boat. Everyone's buying insurance after the fire has already happened. Uh, that which is feared, the Ukrainian invasion, uh, rate hikes, uh, all the different factors that the market's been scared about for the last couple of months have already happened, number one, and have already priced in. You know, we had uh, nearly a 20% intraday correction in the NASDAQ, a 12% intraday correction in the S&P 500, uh, even hit 10% correction on a closing basis for the S&P 500. So, um, so the risk is to the upside because you're going to see in a minute, uh, number one, some, some factors about sentiment, which we're going to cover in the article of the week. Number two, you can see the indicators that we look at are, are nearing at and near inflection points where uh, probabilistically it paid for you to be getting aggressively long when these indicators were extended to the downside, which many of them are. Um, and, um, and, and more than anything else, you'll see we're going to cover there were, there were trillion dollars of puts traded last week. Um, again, 
after the after the fire after russia had already invaded and i guarantee you those dealers are not letting those expire in the money in the next 30 and 60 days i think we're going to see a rip higher and all those premium in the sellers are going to make a fortune and the buyers are going to uh, be toast and and they not only did they buy them at the exact wrong time they paid the exact wrong price because that's when the vix was at the highest which means uh your at the money protection was at the highest possible price you could have buy bought it um which is just quote for suckers i mean that's that's effectively there were a trillion dollars of suckers last week uh, and and you're going to see that play out in, um, in 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 probably the next 30 to 60 days. So um, even Putin was probably uh, covering his puts. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, not to make light of that situation because it's a human tragedy what's going on. But uh, I'll tell you. Um, all right, inflation went from. Four questions here. Inflation went from 2.6 in March of 2021 to 4.2 in April of 2021, uh, 61% increase. Uh, by May 2022, when April 2022 inflation data would report it, inflation could have peaked due to base effects. However, now due to war, commodities, oil, gas are on a tear and there could be additional supply chain issues. Do you think inflation would peak and then start rolling over in the next couple months? And if not, are there any implications for yield curve inversion? Uh, thank you again for sharing your wisdom. Yeah, thoughtful question. I think that, um, you know, uh, I think this spike is temporary. I think, you know, if you look at the backwardation in the curve, you see that forward contracts are trading uh, well below uh, cash. And um, the other rumor that was in the market today before the Macron um, uh, Putin uh, conference call failed was that the Iran deal was imminent and uh, oil backed off. A lot of the oil stocks have, have stopped going up while oil oil has been elevated. Uh, so I think that trade is unwinding pretty quickly and I don't think it's going to have uh, an impact on um, the yield curve inversion. The, the number one thing that's going to have an impact on the yield curve inversion uh, is going to be the Fed action. So uh, thanks for that, Sumit. Uh, Jeremy Raff says, hey, Tom, great video cast. I look forward to it every week. What do you think of this stat this week? Is it possible to fade these moves caused by sanctions on Russia if we get to a deal faster? Uh, is the global economy really all on the line here, de depending on what happens in the Ukraine? To illustrate the point, every 50% rise in crude prices have led to a recession. The chart is from pictet layer the total dislocation of other commodities so i pulled the quote the uh thing so it looks pretty compelling here like oh so because it hit it went up 50 percent then you're guaranteed to have a recession and they point to all these areas uh that they had a recession and therefore we must have a recession moving forward uh certainly could be the case i mean look we could invert the curve before the end of the year and then we'll have a recession next year uh, that's that's uh, possible for sure, but um, generally you have six to 18 months before the market peaks after the inversion. Uh, so we've got a lot of run and, and oftentimes you get some of your biggest moves after the first inversion. So, uh, but what I would, I would look at here is um, I'd be inclined to think about this in a different way. Um, and that is, you know, we had this COVID crash, like we had the great financial crisis crash. And then you had this strong recovery up here where I guess it increased 30 or 40% in 2013 and 2014. I think we're more, um, 
more along these lines here than, than we are here. Th this acceleration here is kind of a blow off from the acute nature of the uh, Ukraine thing and people's fear around that uh, and the sanctions. But if you note, one of the most important things that I saw today was that, and you can pull it here, uh, hopefully, does it come up? Sophie, yeah, here it is. Sophie Petter, who's the Paris bureau chief at The Economist said, it was Putin who called Macron today, according to the Elysee. Uh, the call lasted an hour and a half. Macron told Putin, you're lying to yourself. There was nothing that Putin said that reassured us. A source in the presidency said, France is preparing for the worst. Um, you know, okay, so, um, someone who's showing undeniable strength usually does not pick up the phone to open dialogue. They're seeing what's on the table for me today. And if nothing, okay, I'll hang up the phone. I'll bomb, you know, some more. Um, I will do uh, uh, acts of um, criminal acts of war or whatever the specific term is uh, until you give me something. I mean, at this point, he miscalculated. He thought he was going to go in. They were going to raise the white flag. He was going to take uh, Ukraine or at the very least the separatist areas uh, in Donbass. And, um, and uh, he underestimated Zelensky and uh, people's, uh, globally people's uh, demand and um, uh, vigor to fight for, fight for their freedom because they've seen the other side of it. And I also think that Putin, uh, despite his control of the media, uh, with, you know, young Russians have an ability to get around firewalls and see what's happening in the rest of the world. And I got to assume that there's a good portion of the troops and the generals that, um, you know, this is not the 1940s where information was controlled. Um, I'm assuming some of them are saying, like, why am I going into the Ukraine to, like, bomb my, you know, great aunt's cousin? Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, and at some point, uh, you may see some of them start to defect. So, um, you know, P Putin certainly has more strength, but he can't leave at this point um, without getting something. So originally he wanted um, Zelensky to withdraw his application from NATO. Now Zelensky has some momentum, so he's got to knock the wind out of his sails and then ask again. Um, you know, my guess is when all is said and done, if it goes well, he'll wind up with a piece of separatist land, he'll declare victory, and he'll, it will have cost him five years of the economy because the sanctions will have hurt him. There will be a number of businesses that still won't do business with him even, even after everything, even after there's a negotiated settlement. It will take time to recover. Uh, a lot of damage was done. Um, and if that doesn't work, uh, you know, I had a, some crazy thoughts last night, but I don't think they're too far from the truth in that all these oligarchs that are getting their assets frozen, and I'm sure they all have accounts that can't be touched that are, you know, anonymous and they have assets, but a, a portion of their assets and, and a material portion of, across the board are being frozen. And when you've lived a certain lifestyle for now, it's been two decades for many of these guys and, and gals, uh, you don't like to give that up. 
Uh, and, you know, so you try to talk, they'll try to talk some reason into Putin because, you know, some of them may have direct interest in, in uh, uh, taking over uh, Ukraine, but not all of them will. And they're just seeing the pain and not the benefit. Uh, so they'll talk to him and they'll talk to him. And at some point, if you have 100 or 200 billionaire oligarchs who lose all their money, uh, but still have some money, uh, they're probably going to get together and they're going to find a way to uh, get rid of the source of the problem. Because uh, uh, as much as they love what, what has been given, they don't love what has been taken. And, uh, and there's one quick way to, to, uh, to solve that problem. So uh, I'm not making any predictions here, but I think there are a lot of outs in this situation. And um, uh, they, they, they don't end in the worst case. Uh, they, they could end in a, a, a positive up surprise. Uh, up so, uh, positive surprise that, that you know, few people aren't expecting. But I think the likely outcome is some negotiated settlement where Putin can say he got something even though he lost and he miscalculated and uh, he'll, he'll go back uh, in a weaker state than he started. And it will just help. Ultimately, it's going to help our natural gas business, which is why during the, uh, as we've been taking off our ENP names, we've kept all of our natural gas game, nat natural gas ga names, um, because I think that's going to be a, a secular trend. Um, okay, so so to to just quickly nip that in a bud, uh, you know, it's compelling the way they do this in terms of percentages. I, I'm not terribly interested in that. Certainly possible, uh, not probable, but I, I'm likening this a lot more to this period here um, than to these periods. But, but uh, you know, it can't be discounted and it's something to keep in mind. So thanks for sending that, Jeremy. Uh, Eric, first name only. Tom, thank you for your wisdom and leadership over the past few years as we've navigated the financial markets. I wanted to get your take on Raytheon, which was one of your top picks in early 2021. It has performed exceptionally well and I took your advice. Uh, this is opinion, not advice. Go to hedgefundtips.com. Click on terms. I don't know your financial situation, so this is just my opinion, not giving advice to anyone. But thank you for the kind words. Uh, where do you believe it goes from here? And what would you do if you owned it? Thanks so much. So we, on Tuesday, as a matter of fact, we got another question. Uh, on Tuesday, we took off some uh, d defense names on that parabolic move. Um, they've come in a little bit since. You know, what I would think about doing, I think that the whole group is going to have a cyclical move here. They've been kind of treading water for the last couple of years. They started to perform in the last year. Uh, so on that move, we took off, uh, you know, you could trim like 25, 30%, but I think, you know, a half or two thirds of it, whether you're in Raytheon, Lockheed Martin, DFEN, uh, any of those, uh, ITA is the uh, defense ETF. I think you want to hold those. I think uh, you're going to see a collective increase in spending for NATO, uh, certainly for Poland, for Germany, all of these company, countries that have underspent, I think now realize that there are real threats out there. And keep in mind, if there's a negotiated settlement and he gets a sliver of land or he gets some, something that he can take back to his people to say he got a win, even though it was a monster, colossal miscalculation and loss, um, he'll be back. You know, cockroaches, if you don't kill them, they come back. And um, so, uh, you know, that, that's all there is. And I think people will be prepared and, and they'll be beefing up uh, uh, in, in preparation for, for any eventualities. 
Okay, Ben, first name. Tom, the big market players have many ways to influence the markets, especially overnight futures trading. How are the wild moves, overnight moves, helping them? Um, you know, this there's no grand conspiracy. So, you know, if you read Kramer's book about how he pretended to move the futures around overnight because he could do it with 100 contracts, who cares? I mean, it's, it's nonsense. I mean, buy good businesses when they're on sale, suck it up for the short-term volatility until everyone else figures out it's a good buy, and then when everyone else wants it, when they're up double or triple, help them out and lay it off and rinse and repeat. That's all you have to do is you know, suck it up during the short-term volatility after you've made your purchase, buy down when you, know what you owe, when you know what you own and it moves against you, you can add more, it's a gift from God, and then, uh, and then when it reverses and everyone starts getting interested and it's up double or triple, depending what you predetermine as intrinsic value, lay it off to all the people that are excited, buying quote-unquote breakouts and getting, getting super excited about uh, uh, that and uh, getting shaken around. This overnight stuff, who, who cares? I mean, if you want to gamble, you could probably have better odds going to card counting at the casino uh, and actually have a system that... that uh, would work. There's no grand conspiracy to take out your stops. There are algos, by the way, that take out your stops. So like no serious institutional investor has stop losses on their positions. Uh, that's for retail investors. As a matter of fact, if you go to my video in the trading service, I talk about exactly that. Being in positions, they take out your stops and then it immediately reverses and takes, that's by design. You know, stop losses, I, I mean, if there's any grand conspiracy, maybe it's teaching retail traders how to play stop losses so they can take them all out and reverse them up. But, um, you know, maybe there's some computer programs doing that. Um, but, you know, we don't, we don't all get together at dinner and say, how are we gonna take out Ben first name only stop losses tonight? Like. It's not meaningful enough for us, but we know where the stops are, by the way. And we, I mean, I could tell, I, I could look at your portfolio right now and tell you where all your stop losses are. And I'm sure the algos are doing exactly that. That's why when you're trading on technicals, you know, I was, when you, when you don't know what you own, you get shaken out and your stop losses tell the whole story. When you do the work and you know the business that you own, you know the underlying fundamental thesis uh, properly, um, and you have adequately vetted the short thesis and said that I think that they're, that I understand what they're saying and here's why I think it's incorrect. And when you've looked at both sides of it, you don't worry about these short-term volatility or overnight futures, like who, literally who cares? Um, so, um, and, and by the way, you know, Ben, you ask a, a lot of great questions and you ask a lot of short-term questions you may want to get in on a day trading. I'm sure there are day trading podcasts on, on uh, YouTube. You could find that this is, that's not what the, that's not, that's not our game. So um, it's not our knitting, so to speak. Okay. In this regard, please estimate what percentage of traders use stops and what percentage of those who do elect to have the stops applied during after hour traders. Uh, you know, probably 95% of retail traders. That's why they lose money all the time because uh, they don't know what they own. They're looking at charts. They think they have an edge that no one else sees and they're wrong. Uh, and uh, it's rinse, repeat, and you know the algos take their money. So uh, three, is there a free source of information showing the short interest on a particular stock, including the data, the data with regards to anticipating uh, possible short squeeze? Again, these are conspiracies. Like you can look up, just Google high short interest stocks. You'll get a list of the most highly shorted stocks. 
Um, you can, on Yahoo, I think it's free, you can see the short interest or short interest as percentage of a float. Uh, but that's not going to give you any edge because sometimes the shorts are wrong. Uh, and sometimes some of the best longs are the ones with the short interest. Sometimes uh, the shorts are absolutely right. Don't underestimate short sellers. They do tremendous research and they're some of the smartest folks in the world. The problem is they're not smart enough to realize that the odds are stacked against them and the market goes up 75% of the time. And that's why there are very few of them that are, you know, that, that can do exceptionally well because it's just, it's running uphill 24 seven. It's, it's a hard game to play uh, for those who are exclusively focused on short selling. Um, but, you know, kudos to them for, for what they try to do. Um, what factors are responsible for the over or underperformance of biotech versus the S&P on any given day? I, I, who cares? Like, that has no bearing on our thesis or why we would actually put money to risk uh, on, any, on, on any position, on how it performs relative to the S&P on a day-to-day. -day. Like, who cares? That's, that's an irrelevant question. If you're asking that question, uh, you shouldn't be in any of the positions that I talk about because you're going to lose money because you're thinking about it on a 24-hour basis. So uh, pass on that question. And five, lastly, Please share your approximate percentage interest in biotech. I'm guessing it's around 30% of your company's investment, which I find reassuring. Uh, no, we've never gone above 20% on any position. Our highest convic conviction positions of all time uh, have hit uh, 20%, and uh, biotech is right in that neighborhood right now. So uh, I, whether you find that reassuring or not, it's, it's high conviction uh, from my standpoint. Uh, Bill C., and thank you for the question. I, I don't mean to uh, come off hard, but, you know, you've listened for, you know, a year or two, which we're very grateful for and appreciative of, uh, and asked some really good questions over that time. But this short-term, you know, two-minute questions, wrong podcast. You know, ask about companies. I'm happy to, to give our opinion uh, and, and be as helpful as possible. So th thanks for that. Uh, Bill C. Hi, Tom. I know you're bullish on biotech right now and I've been accumulating Labu, but how long do you typically hold Labu before taking some profits? I'm also bullish on biotech at these levels. Worry about the decay given the volatility of XBI in a sideways market. Thanks in advance. And just by XBI, I, I mean, um, we have, you know, you, you can get a basket of exposure. There are many instruments you can use. Uh, some will have leverage, some won't have leverage. Just, you know, go with what you feel comfortable with. Uh, if you have a handful of names that you feel high conviction, do it. But I think the whole sector is going to work for the next 12 to 24 months. Uh, Adam Dyer. Uh, hi, Tom. Since December, Lockheed stock has run up 30%. Asking this question as of Monday morning where the stock price is 426. I think it closed like 455 today. Uh, back in December, I felt Lockheed Martin was a 10 to 15% annual return. From a conservative fundamental business growth perspective, Lockheed Martin could easily be a $700 stock in 2031. However, that is nine years from now. My question to you is, is it better to sell or at least trim my position now that people are piling into it from the Ukraine-Russia conflict uh, and just rebuy it when it comes more fairly valued again, or should I hold through? Uh, of course, this is opinion, not financial advice. Go to hedgefundtips.com and click on terms. <laughs> okay, we can tell we have a long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, you don't have a crystal ball and unfortunately can't predict the future. Best Adam P.S., Really appreciate your thoughts on the market. Happy to have stumbled on your channel last year and appreciate your LinkedIn connection. I work in investment banking in New York City and you're a great role model who I aspire to be professionally someday. Thank you. I'm flattered by that. Glad this is helpful. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, and I, um, 
so the answer to the question is we trimmed a bunch on Tuesday. Uh, we will we we will hold our core position. We think it's a long-term secular move, but it just it literally went parabolic in like a handful of days. You, you gotta ring the register a little bit, you know, maybe a third, 25%. Uh, DFEN, we, we did not sell a share, uh, but some of the individual names that just went literally straight up uh, for, for the last week, we had to take some profits. Uh, and we would add back, but we have enough uh, broad exposure to the sector from Boeing, from DFEN, that, um, you know, trimming on Lockheed and stuff like that is not keeping us up at night. So, um, uh so that that was the play. Uh, Roy Roger, big lots for hi Tom, big lots for S Stone today. Baba too. What's your opinion of Twilio? Okay, I went through a couple of these quickly for you. Twilio, um, not for me. Uh, I, I know why you're interested in it because it's down a lot, but it's still trading at a twenty-eight billion dollar market cap on five billion of revenue and losing money. Um, so I, you know. It, it's not it's not my it's not my bag i mean you might be able to figure out why they're going to grow so much in the future that it's worth paying six times sales uh while they're losing money just because they've come down a lot i mean when someone something's losing money it makes no difference to me whether it's trading at 20 times sales or five times sales or two times sales it i don't i have no way of telling where the bottom is so um not my cup of tea Saber, uh, I thought that was okay. Three billion market cap, three billion in revenues. Um, I think they do software for for the travel industry, so I think it's okay. It hasn't fully recovered from the pandemic lows. Uh, I think it's kind of okay. Um, NTB is a bank. The banks have run up huge. We told you we were trimming banks uh, in the last handful of weeks. Uh, uh, Wells, we trimmed a lot in the high 50s, uh, the vast majority of our position. We would add back on a material pullback, um, you know, like into the low 40s, but I, I don't think we're going to get that. So I think it was just a great trade. We'll hold some to 75 and then we'll probably be uh, done with it. Um, and uh, so no on the banks. I mean, they can move more, of course, but n n the yield curve's flattening. I, I, I think that's going to change, but um, I'd like to see them flush out before I, considering, before I consider putting new money into banks when we had such a run. It's backward looking. The time to buy banks was 2020 when we were pounding the table. The time to sell them was when they were all up double and triple, which we told you we were doing. And um, so pass. Uh, ALK, Alaska Airlines, this one has actually recovered quite a bit from the pandemic. It's back to pre-pandemic levels. So I think the vast majority, I mean, things up 200% or 300%, it's not, not my cup of tea. Can it push higher? Yeah, there's unbelievable travel demand. I talked about it on Cheddar. Buy some of the laggards, you know, United, Delta, uh, stuff like that, that uh, people think are dead and they'll, they'll rise, like the, uh, rise like a phoenix from the ashes over time. Um, overall, aviation leasing business, uh, I, um, I don't know. You got to give me a ticker for that. This AL didn't come up, so I'm not sure what that was. Um, appears everyone wants Kathy Woods to burn, yet she has some good picks, Stone and Twilio. Well, if you think Twilio is a good pick, why did you ask me about it? <laughs> so I don't, I don't have an answer for you. Stone, uh, you know, we've got a token position, um, but, uh, you know, I don't think everyone wants Kathy to burn. I think uh, I think that um, there are some people that realize that 
buying stocks at 50 times sales and thinking that's going to work out is is an unusual proposition. Uh, and now that they've all come up off 70 and 80, that everyone you know is bad mouthing her, maybe she she will get a nice bounce. But um, you got to go you got to go at a, a stock by stock basis. You know, Twilio is probably the cheapest in her portfolio at six times sales and losing money. So I don't know what the bottom is for those type of stocks. I mean. You know, Peloton, Michael Dell buys $50 million or his firm does from the CEO who's like, you know, bailing out of the, puking out of the stock. Uh, I look at the thing, it's still worth $28 billion on a fraction of that in revenue. And it's down, you know, 75, 80, 90 percent. There's no reason for me to get involved. Could it bounce? Sure. Could it go from, you know, 10 times sales to 12 times sales and lose money? Sure. You know, I don't know. If I was going to buy Peloton, probably the number one thing I would do is buy a bike and use it for a month and see if it's as addictive as everyone says, or if it's like every other exercise machine. Uh, like I bought this thing called the ROM, R-O-M, Range of Motion or something. It was like this $20,000 thing where you're supposed to get a workout in four seconds. I mean, it became a coat hanger in six months. So, you know, live and learn. Uh, Dr. Matt in... NC, uh, thoughts on SoFi, soared when approved by, uh, thoughts on SoFi, soared when approved to become a consumer bank through Golden Pacific acquisition, Golden Pacific Bank Corp acquisition in January, now bought Galileo and Technosys with the stock cruising rapid, price decline, lots of volatility, you have any short-term or long-term best guess predictions on the stock price? Okay, so um, SoFi is trading at four times revenue. It's making no money. The story is they're going to be magical and uh, they're going to, you know, they're the only ones who have digital banking. Like all the major banks have digital banking. Do they have refinance your student loans? So that's like a good catch. Here's the deal about SoFi. SoFi is all about Anthony Noto. Wall Street loves Anthony Noto. Jim Cramer loves Anthony Noto because Anthony Noto, when he was a junior banker at Goldman, took the street.com public. So they're buddies. Everyone likes Noto. He's a war veteran. Um, you know, he's a uh, military veteran. Uh, he's a smart guy. He's got the uh, Goldman uh, cachet. Uh, and, and, it, and if there's something to be done, he's going to figure it out. So I, I, wouldn't, I would never bet against him. Do I buy the company at four times sales because it's lower? I mean... It wouldn't be a high conviction trade for me, but if you love the story and, you know, you want to look five years out and uh, so going back to last week, I, I, I explained this like um, pretty detailed. I, I don't I don't buy recent IPOs. I, I just don't do it. I need businesses that I can see 10 years of track record at least see how they perform through different cycles, see if there's an actual moat. I'm not interested in ideas. I'm not interested in gambling and guessing what's around the next corner. I'll leave that to someone else. Bally Gifford, if you like people that can do that, they do okay doing that. They're getting hurt lately, but uh, Ron Barron's great at doing that. Uh, there are a couple people who can guess what's around the corner and actually be right. There are uh, you know, other people that can guess what's around the corner and they get blown up every cycle. Uh, and somehow people forget that they got blown up 20 years ago and they come back and they think, uh, you know, they're the greatest thing since sliced bread. But if you look back at their track record, you know that they've done it before and they're doing the same thing again. But um, so SoFi, uh, 
I'm agnostic. I, 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 I like the guy. I would bet on the jockey. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I mean, I like the, I like the company. I like the, the, uh, the chief strategist, uh, Liz Young that comes on all the time. She, she's interesting. The business, I, I, you know, and then you've got the curse of putting your naming rights on a stadium, which is usually a top, uh, historically, but it's come down a lot, but it's still like, it's it's not cheap for me. If you want to take a flyer because it's oversold and hope it bounces and you make 50% and get out, uh, have at it. But um, it's not something that I could lean into in any way and feel comfortable, uh, despite loving the jockey. Prasad M. Oh, so anyway, the best, the, the most likely outcome with SoFi is that they actually do grow a bit and in two years they're bought out at like a 50% premium. That That's the best case scenario for SoFi. And Noto, with his investment banking background, that's probably the play in, in the back of his mind. Um, Prasad M, thanks for another great commentary and video. You were prescient in yesterday's market. And thanks for reading and answering my question on your video. After following for a year, I'm considering doing a free trial on your private access uh, trading service, but had a question. After watching your video and reading your description, it seems you trade mostly in uh, options. Just wanted to confirm that this is the case. Yes, that is uh, for the trade service. We do uh, deep in the money call spreads and put spreads. And the reason we do that is because retail traders like to see, you know, small consistent wins over and over and over. Uh, and it's a good way to kind of learn about the, the, uh, the intermediate term moves. Uh, again, from Dr. Matt in North Carolina, enjoying the 5% of my portfolio actively as a retail investor, learning from your super podcast textbooks and other sources, but Wondering how best to invest the other 95%. Financial goal, live large in retirement, maybe some generational wealth, but not near the 5 million mark yet to invest with you. Uh, ever going to lower the bar? Not at present, but that may happen. Um, in the, we'll, we'll, we'll see. It may happen in the sense that um, we may move towards the end of the year as assets grow from separately managed accounts into uh you know commingled partnership uh effectively where where it would be uh and then we could probably uh consider that but but my inclination is uh not to because i i like i like the type of partners that i attract at the higher end um this thinking is similar versus having to handhold you know um other investors but uh, it, w anyway, the answer is no at the moment. So right now I'm using a diversified, diversified index funds through uh, 401k and auto investors from Betterman and Schwab ETFs to keep fees to a minimum. Other thoughts of where to put money to work. Uh, P.S. Sorry, this wasn't a specific talk, stock question. Uh, you know, uh, I'm sure that's fine. They're basically just putting you in the market at low cost. And if the market goes up, you make money. And if the market goes down, you lose money. And over time, you make money because the market goes up 75% of the time. So you're probably okay there. I mean, a Buffett approach would be, you know, buy, the, buy a total market ETF 90% and put 10% in cash or treasuries. That's what he's told his family to do and just suck up the volatility. And um, over time, that'll outperform uh, quite a lot of the other things. If you don't want that level of volatility and you can't take 50% drawdowns every 10 years, then you want to do something like a Swenson portfolio, the guy from Yale who recently passed away. Uh, and that would be like 20% uh, US equities, 20% uh, uh, XUS uh, equities, 
international ex-US, and then uh, 10% emerging markets, 20% real estate, 15% tips, 15% uh, treasuries, uh, long bonds. So that would dampen the volatility of that 30%. It's also kind of like the all-weather portfolio at Bridgewater. Uh, they add a little leverage on it once they do that because they have the volatility dampening from the bonds. Uh, and that'll be fine. You'll do a little less than just being in equities, but you'll have less volatility, low, you know, smaller drawdowns on the, on the downside. Uh, and that's a way to do it. But you're probably doing something similar. And, uh, and that's that. So um, living large is relative. You know, living large is relative to um, you know, what you've, you've generated and what you have to put to work. Uh, and if you do a decent job, you should be able to sustain your lifestyle uh, if you have the right guidance. So uh, great question. Thanks for listening. Let's moving on here. Uh, in this article in Barron's, uh, they quote Ned Davis research, uh, examined the effect on stocks of more than 50 crisis events since the turn of the 20th century from the panic of 1907 to the COVID-19 crash of 2020 and found a pattern. After falling an average of 7% in the immediate aftermath of the crisis, the Dow rose 4.2% over the next three weeks. Nine weeks later, gained 6%. And after 18 weeks, was up an average of 9.6%. That's all events, all wars, all catastrophes uh, over the past 130, you know, 122 years or so. So uh, that, that's pretty good data. Now, to what I was speaking about, the risk is to the upside and everyone's position to the downside. Here's some data here that shows uh, retail investors uh, put option volumes, 50-day moving average. Um, you can see the volume reached the highest level on record. It shows there's even more pessimism now than we saw during the pandemic downturn of March 2020. Confirming this brokerage firm, Goldman Sachs said $1 trillion worth of put contracts changed hands last week compared with the $800 billion figure near the S&P 500's pandemic-driven lows in March 2020. Uh, so we're seeing that also in the VIX. And if you look here, also from Zero Hedge, this table says that uh, this is the small lot, you know, the 10 lots or less. Uh, they're at this level of above 0.6, the put-to-call premium. Uh, and every time you've gotten up to these levels has been near a bottom. Uh, either immediate or or shortly thereafter. Um, so, you know, small investors are very scared and they're panicking and at the exact wrong time, they're buying overpriced insurance. Uh, indicator of the day. Uh, yeah, I just want to put this out. This is kind of a microcosm of what we're seeing across all indicators. This happens to be the advanced decline line, 20, I guess 20 day moving average normalized uh, of the New York Stock Exchange advanced decline line. You know, at these levels here, probabilistically, you want to be a buyer, not a seller. It's down to the levels that we were at during the COVID lows. Uh, and that's why we have reasonable confidence that the worst is in the rearview mirror. Uh, Citi's moving back into U.S. equities because it sees a rebound coming for this beaten down sector. Guess what the beaten down sector is? Call of the day from Citi. Um who, who in the same note lifted U.S. equities and the global information technology sector back to overweight. Both are growth trades that should benefit in relative terms, at least from the recent sharp drop in real yields. So we, we agree. We've been talking about that the last few weeks. Everyone's uh, positioned for cyclicals after the trade has already doubled and tripled. Uh, and uh, invariably within a month or two, each time that's happened the last four times in the last 20 years, cyclicals have sold off and tech has outperformed. 
Uh, Cigna adds back, uh, board adds $6 billion to company share buyback authorization, boosting it to $10 billion. We've said consistently since <laughs> these levels down here, and it's just been months and months of grinding, then it took off that this, uh, we felt this would work back up to new highs at 270. It's doing that. It's now worked up from 190 to 240 in the last couple of months. We think it keeps pushing higher, and the board apparently thinks so too because they're going to uh, add another $6 billion to support the stock. Um, here's from uh, this guy. He's an OPEC reporter. This is what caused uh, the uh, part of the buoyancy in the market early in the day. I've received definitive news that this guy's from, I think, uh, senior journalist at OPEC. Uh, I've received definitive news that within the next 72 hours, the nuclear deal will be signed in Vienna, even if it might take a couple days more or so. What appears to be certain is the deal will be reached. Iran's oil is returning to the market under golden circumstances. So, you know, there's some back and forth as to whether this true, this, this is true. This guy's from Iran, uh, and we'll we'll see. Uh, we covered that. Uh, Biden, in his State of the Union speech, renewed calls to let Medicare negotiate drug prices, an effort that has stalled in Congress. Uh, but he, more than drug prices, because he was realizing the Build Back Better has turned into the Build Back Burner. Uh, he's pushing to get insulin below $35 a month, which will not affect 99% uh, of biotech companies. So, um, uh, and then Manchin came out right after the State of the Union speech. He said he stands firm on disagreements with Biden's policies, and the Democratic senator says he won't change his mind, which is uh, a clear message that uh, Build Back Better stays on the Build Back Burner, and the rhetoric that came out earlier in the week is nothing more than uh, empty words because there's no coalition to get it done. Uh, China Xi engulfed in crises just when he wanted stability most. We've talked about this multiple times. Uh, he's got the China National Congress at the end of the year. He has the people, the National People's Congress this weekend where 3,000 delegates are going to meet in Beijing for China's annual legislative meetings. Hopefully that'll be a catalyst to the upside. Uh, it's the pol biggest political event before a twice-a-decade party leadership reshuffle slated for the second half of the year, which is in November. Xi will do all that it takes this year to prevent economic or financial crises from derailing his preparations to secure a, a norm-defying third term as Chinese leader at the 20th Party Congress. Uh, this is from Neil Thomas, a Chinese politics and foreign policy analyst at Eurasia Group. Um, but there's always a tail risk that an external shock could put events beyond Beijing's control, which is why China has urged a quick and peaceful con conclusion to the Ukrainian crisis. So China is relying on, I'm sorry, R Russia is relying on China for a lot of goods and a lot of uh, things, but China's getting nervous that the sanctions are going to carry over to them, and that's something that they can little afford, particularly leading into the China National Congress. So they're going to lean on uh, Putin hard to kind of, you know, take your sliver of land and go away uh, because uh, it risks Xi's grand plan to uh, secure his third term. Uh, and he's trying to juice his economy heading into it, which he started in November and continues to do so. More on that. China's looking to reduce the social cost of COVID zero. Um, survey says signs growing that Beijing is mulling exit plan from the strategy. They're starting 
uh, supposedly going to start uh, trial things as early as this summer and then full steam by 2023. But the key in that plan is that they've approved the uh, Pfizer pills, which basically means if you get COVID, you take the pill and it goes away. And if, and if that uh, becomes a widespread use in China, then uh, there's no reason to have COVID zero. It's just take your, you know, massive testing and massive uh, pill distribution. So uh, here was a headline, Hong Kong stocks have raised losses as Chinese manufacturing data fuels optimism amid the Ukraine crisis. This was good, actually. We saw quite a bit of strong data come from China um, this week. And that is the lagged effect of the stimulus that they started up in October and November after tightening early last year, which caused the collapse. Uh, part of which caused, caused the collapse. So if you look at uh, the manufacturing PMI is still in expansion. It was at 50.2 versus uh, expectation of contraction at 49.9, which didn't happen. Uh, and the Kaijin manufacturing PMI was also in expansion, 50.4 versus 49.5. It um, was one more data point. Uh, the services missed expectations, but still in expansion. This is for China at 50.2. So so it's showing that the stimulus that they put into place in October, November is starting to trickle through and it will become more pronounced in coming months. So that's positive. Um, okay, next. Uh, casino stocks, uh, China reopening stocks jump on the report of COVID policy easing. We saw that on Tuesday, they were all up 10 and 11%. Uh, Macau extends the casino licenses for six months to allow a legislator to enact new gambling law. So uh, the casinos like that. Uh, China, this is a very interesting thing. China, Chinese developers are buying back their bonds at a discount. So uh, everyone's worried about the property collapse, and yet the money that these developers do have on hand, they're buying in their own debt at a huge discount. So it tells me that either they know some massive stimulus is coming and they want to buy them at 30 or 40 cents on the dollar before they go back to par, um, you know, or they're trying to clean up their, I think it's the latter. I think they're clear stimulus is coming because why would you ever do that if you think the future's worse? Your bonds are in the toilet. Uh, you don't know if you're going to default. You'd rather take the little money you have and service the debt payments and hope for a turnaround in the property market versus buy bonds with, all, with the only cash you have left. Uh, it tells me something may be coming and that'll be good for consumer sentiment, spending the whole thing. Tencent jumps on report of Chinese billionaires big buy order. So apparently the the Warren Buffett of China bought a bunch of Tencent this week. I think you're going to see more and more of that happening. It's interesting because it signals two things. One is the crackdown on billionaires over there might be more in the rearview mirror that he'd feel confident to be public about his purchases. Uh, and two, that um, you know, more wired in people are buying more stock of these beaten down things. The retail people are selling them in fear. The billionaires are buying them in bulk. Um, Bill Miller was on CNBC yesterday morning. He called Alibaba. Uh, number one, he said that he was adding to his stock, which he was also saying in December. But, you know, same thing with, uh, with um, Charlie Munger. Same thing with us. Uh, and I think Miller nipped it in the bud. This e-commerce giant is the cheapest big cap stock in the world right now. Uh, cheapest on any metric you look at it. But I, the most important metric, in my view, is cheapest relative to its future growth prospects. Uh, and uh, although growth had slowed in the short term, that was expected. The China consumer did. Uh, you had 
all the effects of the tightening, the crackdown, shutting down cities every time you get a COVID case, it wears on sentiment. If you don't know if you're going to have a job tomorrow, you don't spend uh, willy-nilly on, uh, on online trinkets. And, uh, but, but that seems to be more rearview mirror. And it's just given people an opportunity like Bill Miller, a legendary value investor, to get more stock like uh, Charlie Munger to get more stock, like us to get more stock. And, um, you know, and, and that's that. It's just, uh, it's just um, dealing with the short-term volatility. And when you look out 12 to 24 months and it reverts back to intrinsic value, these things always overshoot on the downside well below intrinsic value. And then they overshoot on the upside dramatically above intrinsic value. And as a matter of fact, on the money show, I'm going to go through a bunch of trades that, and investments we've done over the last decade and how they were so dramatically overshot both on the upside and downside when we got involved and how we dealt with the short-term volatility and how they worked out. And I think uh, many of you might find that helpful. Um, okay, stock, the stock market bet that you can't collect on, our article of the week. So on Wednesday morning, I joined Alicia Nieves on Cheddar's opening bell. Uh, thanks to Alicia, Ali Thompson, and Jovan Collins for having me on. I started the segment by saying it never pays to bet on the end of the world because even if you're right, you can't collect. <laughs> so uh, I went on to elaborate that the biggest risk in the stock market right now is to the upside, not to the downside. It's a risk because no one is positioned for it. And we went through it with the short interest, with the, uh, with the put volumes, with the, just the level of fear. Sentiment is fully washed out. And here's some data. AAII sentiment at the time of this call was... Uh, uh, segment was 23.4, up from 19. This week it jumped up to 30, but it's still uh, subdued, number one, and it probably went back down today on, on the volatility. The CNN fear and greed got down to 17. That's a, that's the screaming buy signal. I think it moved up to 24. And then the National Association of Active Investment Managers got down to 44% equity exposure. Let's see if that changed. Uh, my guess is it did change in a big way because we had the big day yesterday and they chase panic buying. Uh, let's see. N-A-A-I-M. They pr unfortunately, they print it on Thursday. And... I would have to move the article to, oh my gosh, not, no, they went the opposite way. That's surprising. Uh, they went from 44% equity exposure down to 30% equity exposure. Any resolution in this thing, uh, and they're going to be screwed because like to, you know, it's going it, to, it will happen so fast it won't give them time to get in. I mean, we haven't seen equity exposure this low since the COVID lows. I mean, uh, this is mind boggling how underexposed active investment managers are this week. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised to see something over the weekend uh, in that. But again, not predicting anything and not doing it on the basis of that. I mean, the base case is that this thing muddles along and people become desensitized to it. Uh, and, you know, you get some, you get some Iranian oil back on, maybe I, I mean, it would make too much sense to, to actually finish the Keystone pipeline and that would solve the problem overnight. But uh, desperate times call for desperate measures, so the negative may turn into a positive. Uh, the other alternatives is, uh, you know, are, are that, you know, we covered earlier in the call, which I think uh, also have reasonable probabilities. So, um, okay, back to the article. Uh, 10 day moving average of the equity put call ratio at 0.625. You can see these are levels again, hasn't been this elevated since the COVID lows. 
Um, we also covered the following bullets they sent over like a half hour before the segment. Uh, we did some stuff on um, companies with overseas exposure to Russia, airlines and travel. We covered that. Uh, Fed's approach to inflation, that was really important, worth listening to about the yield curve. Uh, Sumit, if you want uh, some more clarity on that, listen to the segment here. It explains the whole thing. And then uh, sectors with the most growth potential, we, we didn't really get into that, but I would have talked about biotech and some value tech. Uh, our underpinnings for optimism, buybacks at $234 trillion. That's a record. That's authorized for 2022 so far. You're seeing more with Cigna at $6 billion. You're going to see more. Earnings are still rising, $225.42. Uh, for this year, not quite at 230 that we were hoping for, but you know, we'll see how that goes in the next you know, month or so. Um, 248 for next year, so 8.5% earnings growth for 2022. Our Expectations for the year are still on track for high single digits, low double digits for the S&P, greater opportunities under the surface. The City Economic Surprise Index jumped above 40 uh, in its most recent read. That's really good news. That means uh, economic data points that are exceeding expectations, and that's at, now at its highest level in over a year. That's really good to see. Uh, travel has bounced back. TSA pass-through numbers are approaching 2019 levels without business travel even moderately recovered yet. Uh, Target said that their top sellers were suitcases and bathing suits. Expect to see more, that, more of that. I referenced it with Alicia. I think we're going to see a slew of revenge travel, more travel than ever before this summer. Um, immunity rates are now high due to Omicron, so what was a curse turned out to be a blessing. Uh, the hard shift from demand for goods to demand for services, travel, and leisure will help moderate some of the inf short-term inflation pressures. The supply chain, in some regards, uh, you know, we have this acute situation, geopolitical situation, but the supply chain in L.A. should uh, continue to alleviate. So uh, we're pretty sanguine on that uh, uh, and, and, and really focusing our expectations on five-year break-evens more than anything else. Uh, and then, you know, to reiterate, to get a bear market 20% correction, you need a recession. To get a recession, you first need a yield curve inversion. We're still at uh, 35, uh, we were at 38, 40 basis point spread. Uh, so we're still okay on that front. Uh, this is just a summary of uh, the podcast with Phil. I went through the shorting soybeans trade that I did with Cornwall Capital. That's really interesting to listen to. Uh, managing risk and non-correlated assets, what new inv what investors should read first, second, and on a daily basis, a um, little bit about semiconductors, why we avoid newly IPO'd companies. So Dr. From North Car Dr. Matt in North Carolina, you should listen to that. Uh, biotech th thesis, we went into China Tech, Alibaba thesis, what is the difference between secular and cyclical, the most important metric that we look at, how it's calculated. Uh, sentiment opinion follows trend and beware of story stocks, why high price to sell stocks are plummeting and putting them in their historic context. Uh, the Money Show is on, uh, you can click here, I think it's Tuesday from 11.15 to 11.45 a.m. You can get a free pass and I'm going to go through some key trade investments I've done over the past decade or so um, from 2009 to 2012 to two, uh, 2020. Uh, and big ideas for 2022. Uh, and by the way, if you're on the podcast, you're going to get cut off in about 30 seconds. We'll probably be done in about 
seven minutes. So go to hedgefundtips.com, scroll down to the video cast. If you just fast forward the YouTube video to minute 60, you'll pick up word for word where you left off. And if there are some things that you wanted to see from earlier, you'll, you can just uh, rewind and see the images that you weren't able to see while you were listening to the podcast. Now, while most people are concerned about geo geopolitical headwinds, we continue to look under the surface to see what's actually happening to the businesses. One of the key disciplines we have is to consistently pull the earnings estimates of the top 30 weights of two new sectors each week, starting with the general indices at the beginning of the quarter. We publish some of these 